0: Information age where we live in a world that is full of noise with many, many voices. We've been spending the last few months hearing uh, the words of Jesus and considering how his words would shape and influence our our life, all aspects of our life. And and a major focus as we've been listening to Jesus' teaching is this idea of his kingdom, uh, the kingdom that he's come to establish. It's this kingdom that is a kingdom of restoration, of change. Uh, I don't know about you, but what seems to be quite clear as Jesus navigates his time in this world is that he's discontent with the status quo. Uh, You know, we sort of talk about disruptors. You think of like how Uber disrupted the transport industry. They were discontent uh, with how taxi services and transport happen. And so they sort of said, don't worry about the rules. Let's just reimagine this. And um, Jesus is, is coming into the world and discontent with the way things are, seeing all the flaws and wanting to bring about real change. And throughout Luke's Gospel, throughout the, the accounts of Jesus' ministry, we see the kind of change that Jesus is bringing, this, this restoration. It, it's physical, it's spiritual, it's relational. And uh, just like any sort of disruption to the status quo, there are those who feel threatened by that, and we certainly see that in Jesus' ministry. Uh, Those particularly who held uh, religious authorities, they seem threatened uh, by his initiatives. But despite the opposition, the crowds keep swelling. There There are people who have jumped on board and others who are wanting more information about what Jesus is offering. And then there's these disciples, these people who have given up everything to just be all in for Jesus, like the early adopters. They're totally committed and convinced that Jesus has a future that they want to be a part of. And so we've got these various people, the the opponents, the establishment, the crowds who are intrigued, the disciples who are just all in. And Jesus, as he teaches, sort of speaks to and interacts with each of these different groups of people in particular way. At times, we've heard him very confrontational as he directs those who are opposed to him. But we see him constantly sending out these invitations for people to not just be hearers and consumers, but to be doers and participants. And he's articulating the way that people from wherever they are can access what he's offering. And two key events sort of seem to really um, populate the teachings of Jesus. He's talking a lot about his upcoming death, and he's also talking about his eventual return. His death that was approaching was not going to be a surprise for him. It's not something that his opponents forced him into. But Jesus seems clear that his death is both essential and necessary for him to execute the plan that God his father had installed for him but the second major event that he speaks about a lot is this day when he will return this day when the kingdom that he's establishing will be consummated, this day when all people's accounts will be called in and it's this day of division, a division between those who've responded to Jesus responded well in repentance and faith and those who haven't those who are going to be excluded. And so what we see in this this bigger section where Jesus is talking about these two key events, his death and his return, that there are questions. And so in verse 23, we hear of a question, uh, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? Now, it seems like it's a personal question, A question perhaps from someone who's already all in with what Jesus is offering, or at least someone who's strongly considering what Jesus is proposing. Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? I wonder whether that's a question where someone's asking and thinking, what have I actually got myself into, or what would I be getting myself into? It's like when someone asks you to an event and you're sort of like, So who else is going to be there? Do I I really want to attend? And so this question, I think, asks, that something that probably most of us subconsciously do ask. Is this kingdom that Jesus has been offering an invitation to actually a place that I want to go to? Now, uh, you know, in the past, it was sort of often seen that, you know, Uh, The the kingdom was a place of unappealing. That's just, just flick that on. This sort of sense that, yep, Uh, actually, hell is where all the excitement is. This sort of being disconnected from God is really where everyone's going to be at. This kingdom is going to be a fairly dull, lifeless and unappealing place. And now perhaps it's sort of not a question that we constantly articulate. Uh, you know, who, who is actually going to be saved? Is there actually going to be anyone there? But perhaps we are confronted with the essence of the question in many times. Who is going to be a part of Jesus' kingdom? Is there only going to be a few people? You know, I wonder whether it's when we're surrounded by people who we love, people who we know are quite smart and kind, but reject Jesus? When we're experiencing the joys of modern life? When the media and and marketing that's presented towards us seem to be offering that we can have heaven now on earth? I think under the surface, each of us as we navigate life can be wrestling with this question of, do we really want what Jesus is offering us? Perhaps there can be real doubts whether this kingdom is an actual thing, and maybe there's a fear, wondering, is it worth the cost, the present cost for the future gain? Perhaps it it feels like something when your work acquaintance invites you to their, their wedding and you're a little bit surprised, I didn't think we were that close, and then they give you the date and it's the same date as something else that you really enjoy and you're sort of in this bind. Do I really want to accept the offer? And perhaps you accept the offer reluctantly and rather than looking forward with anticipation for this event, there's just sort of this sense of obligation. Perhaps that's how your perspective of the kingdom is. Something that you know is probably true is something that might be important, but it feels something that you're more obliged to enter rather than something that you deeply and personally anticipate. Are only a few gonna be saved, was the question that was brought before Jesus. Well, as Jesus responds, we see that he doesn't get defensive or desperate. That Jesus doesn't feel the need to try and sell what he's offering. It's gonna be so great. Do you know who's going to be there? All these really cool, smart people. No, no, in fact, he's been giving glimpses of this kingdom that's available all throughout his life. That this kingdom is is about holistic change, real restoration. Jesus seems confident that this kingdom should be appealing in and of itself. And so what does he do in verse 24? He urges the questioner to respond personally. He says, Make every effort to enter. So, what's clear here is the kingdom that Jesus is offering doesn't have a conveyor belt that you just sort of get on and that you just sort of be absorbed into. It's not just because you grew up going to church or that your parents believe that you're on this conveyor belt to the kingdom. No, no, no. Jesus says, make every effort. The way of the kingdom is narrow. The door to enter is small. And we see here that the entrance to the kingdom is clearly on God's terms. And again, there's this sense of urgency in Jesus' language. The time remaining to enter is short. And when Jesus returns the opportunity to enter will be gone. Now, there are a few layers, as always, with Jesus' teaching and interactions here. He's speaking in his immediate context about what is happening to him as he approaches his death, the significance that that has in God's plan of salvation. But there's also a message for us in the next phase, after his death, awaiting his return. Most most clearly through this whole chapter 13, Jesus is exposing the failure of God's people, Israel. This nation that God had chosen and set apart to be his own. His people who he made the possibility of dwelling with. This nation, Israel, whom he blessed and invited to be a blessing to the nations. Jesus' earthly ministry is exposing their failure. Jesus is exposing the way that they, as a people, have distorted, that they've failed to believe. He exposes the mess that they've made with the privilege that was available to them. What's clear in Jesus' response here from verse 24 onwards is that familiarity with God isn't enough. Israel have shown their fruitlessness in their response. That's why back in verse 6, Jesus used the analogy of the fig tree, that their time is up. You know, we've just been spending the time at Helena's parents' place, which is an orange farm, and uh, it's sort of no longer a working farm, so there are some trees there that that are no longer getting supplied water. That they're just withering away. They're a remnant of what they were intended to be. And Jesus is warning the Israelite religious leaders that their time is near ending. God is doing a new thing. Familiarity as God's people is not enough to have security and the assurance to enter the kingdom that Jesus is establishing. And so Jesus here is doing a major realignment of expectations about what people should expect of the kingdom. And the first point is that it's not... A kingdom that is accessible based on family or cultural heritage. When Jesus returns and we all are called to give account, it's not like turning up to the nightclub and saying, yeah, I'm with those people who are already in. You know, my family who are so involved at church, yeah, I'm with them, I'm good, aren't I? You know, there'll be people who say, oh, but Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they're my cultural family heritage. Jesus saying that is not enough to enter. The entrance is a personal response. Repentance and faith in Jesus. And so one of the things that we should reflect on here is that when Jesus returns there is a division. And it's not just those who will experience life and those who'll just experience nothingness. Dead isn't just being dead. Jesus describes here the ongoing and hideous destiny. See it there in verse 28 there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth for those who are excluded from the kingdom, for those who cannot enter what Jesus has established. Now, Jesus, in response to this question, will there be many who are saved? He's not responding by putting on the big sales pitch. He's not even trying to scare or guilt them into a response. He's just laying out the new reality, the new order that he's establishing. Jesus' kingdom isn't one that's based on ethnic heritage. It's not accessible just by being familiar with Jesus. Personally or just conceptually, to reject Jesus' invitation is ultimately to be rejected by him. And so then verse 29 provides the image of the new order that Jesus is establishing. Have a a look there. It's about people from all parts of the globe, all, all nations, come and gathering and taking their place. He's literally saying that they'll be able to recline at the table. People who have accepted the invitation, who've made every effort to enter, who who find and then take the narrow door, they'll be guests of this eternal banquet. And so, for those who've got Lego before them, the nature of the kingdom is this feast this household where you are able to delight in, in abundant, delicious provision, in, in complete relational restoration with your maker. And so Jesus' death is the very means that's going to bring about this reversal of order, the, the first who are last and the last becoming first. It's sort of this reference to Israel. Their legacy of privilege and proximity, this is no longer going to count. Although they are given primary and first opportunity to respond, although in Jesus' time the religious leaders of Israel seem like the first in line to be approved by God, Jesus exposes this reversal that in fact they are well at the back. And why are they at the back? Because of their response to Jesus. And the alternative is, is that some who seem so at odds with God and Jesus has been interacting with them, sinners, the unclean, well, well actually, they are drawn near. Such is the nature of the new kingdom. And then I think in verse 31, we start to see an example of how far off <laughs> the Israelite religious leaders' radar is. You see, in verse 31, they try and direct Jesus' agenda. Look, look, Herod's out to get you. You better just change your plans and, and secure safety for yourself. And whilst on the surface it seems like a valid and caring interaction with Jesus, the warning about Herod and the impending danger to Jesus' life, it actually shows their ignorance. It shows their ignorance about Jesus' identity and his purpose. You see, Jesus is so clear that heaven isn't going to be found on earth. His life statement isn't to have a safe and prosperous and peaceful life. His purpose, which he will complete, he says, is to establish a kingdom that will embody safety, prosperity, and peace. But it's going to come through his death and the opposition that culminates against him. We see here in his response to the religious leaders from verse 32 that Jesus is not intimidated by them. He's clearly aware of cunning and deceptive schemes from Herod against him. But Jesus is committed with his face set for Jerusalem, knowing the reception that awaits him. And Jesus says, I will reach my goal. But whilst being focused on reaching his goal, probably makes Jesus a great leader. He's not like one of those driven leaders who just sort of is so focused on achieving things that they just sort of leave a a whole reach of carnage in their wake. No, no, no. From verse 33 onward, as we hear Jesus' lament, the lack of response from Israel, God's people, we hear not a hard heart, but we hear a loving heart. We hear the very heart of God, and in that we see the nature of the King. And now let's think about this. It's been a little bit disjointed over the past couple of months, but There's been some really strong warnings in these wider sections, these three chapters. Some really strong words from Jesus. Warnings about impending abandonment. Jesus has been clear that there will be a judgment that all people will be called to give account to. But God doesn't delight in those who reject him. We hear from verse 33, God's sorrow for those who reject Him. His offer. And so, as Jesus laments Jerusalem, Jerusalem there is representative of Israel as the nation. This people whom God has loved and cared for so much. This people who have rejected the messengers that God has sent in the past and who are now about to crucify the greatest prophet of all. When we reject God, it grieves him. God is grieved at these people who had received messengers. Prophets who were sent to try and keep Israel on track, to remind them of who their God is, and to explain what God has done for them, to deliver promises about what God is offering in the future. As they reject these messengers, it breaks God's heart. Because God's desire, the very nature of the king, is to care, nurture and protect. And so that's what that hen image is, the nature of the king, this hen that is so committed to care for her chicks, who longs for the best, is willing to protect them at all cost. This is the very heart of God. God, with his deep affection for his people, And so Jesus here laments uh, those who are responding poorly, those who will be excluded from the kingdom that he is establishing, those who are rejecting what he's offering. And so in verse 35, Jesus quotes from Psalm 117, uh, this psalm that alludes to the priest's blessings to those who worship. Blessed is those who call on the name of the Lord. I grew up in a Catholic Mass, and that's sort of part of the uh, preface acclamation in the the Roman Catholic Mass. It's something that's stated. But it seems like it was a statement that was used by the priests for those who came to worship in the temple to realise that responding well to God brings blessing. And so blessing will now only arrive for those who acknowledge Jesus. He's the one who's come in the name of the Lord. He's the one who's establishing the kingdom of God. And so ultimately, it's the kingdom of God that Jesus is most focused on establishing. The kingdom of God and the king is what we are invited to cast our focus on too. And what's clear from Jesus' words here is that a kingdom where some will be cast out from, but many will come and take their place. The kingdom that Jesus is establishing is a kingdom that's open to all people, a kingdom that's not built on favoritism or cultural or family heritage. It's a kingdom where no background is exempt from participating in. But let's just stop and think about this. It's a kingdom where no matter how broken your past is, no matter how many mistakes you've made, no matter how inadequate you feel or inadequate you appear, there is an invitation for you to make every effort to enter. Entrance, is only through the very narrowest of jaws. A kingdom where only the king has the key. And so Jesus invites all people to make every effort to enter. Now, if you're this morning just not sure that you've made that decision, that maybe it's just your parents' decision, or maybe it's just something that you you have a sense of, but you haven't made a commitment to, then come and hear these words... Acknowledge Jesus. Acknowledge your need for Jesus. Turn from trusting in self. Trust in the forgiveness that is found in him. The door to the kingdom is narrow and the king has it open for you. As I was thinking about this the past week, I was remembering a little conversation I had with my scripture class just uh at the end of term three and I was just I said to them oh you know it was muck up day today and they're like what I'm like muck up day you know it's like the year 12's last day of school where it's just like chaos and like no nah, I don't know what you're talking about I'm like so I tell them the story okay year seven I get off the bus the bus is quite empty there's not many people at school and then I start walking and then there's this herd of Year 12s and they're wearing all these clothes and they start throwing eggs at me. So I start running into my school and I try and enter. And you know, schools, they've got lots of different entrances. But this day, every gate was locked and I'm running around. And, you know, Year 12s, they're, they're smart. So they've got, they've got these fish water, water bombs. So they really stink. They throw that at you. Then they've got a flower. So they throw the flower on you. You, you go and try and turn the the handle to the the door and it's covered in honey. So I've got egg, I've got flour, I've got fish oil all on me. I've got these year 12s just laughing and I'm just like how do I get into school? I run around the whole thing and and funnily enough my school was built like a fortress. And then the office lady she opens up this door that I never knew existed and she's like come in here, come in here. And we come in, the three of us, little year 7s and we're just like shocked. And we never came on the last day of term three ever again. But there was one entrance. There was one lady who had the access to safety. And I've never felt so relieved to be at school when I was inside the gates and those Naki year 12s were on the outside. But such is the picture that Jesus is inviting to respond. Make every effort to enter, there's a narrow door As Pierre outlined earlier, there's not many paths. And then come and take your place. Come and take your place at the table. Recline at at the banquet and the feast. And so once you've entered in through that door, perhaps the greatest challenge for (laughs) us is to cast our eyes on the kingdom. Because it's easy to feel like this kingdom that Jesus talks about is abstract, isn't it? When things are tough here, when you've sort of got real doubts as to whether this thing that Jesus is offering is just something that perhaps you've been convinced by others that there's in existence to help you get through the tough times. But in the tough moments, we need to take heed that Jesus established a kingdom of restoration because he was discontent with how broken this world is. So our pain and our hurt and our suffering in this world is not something that should grow our doubts about the kingdom that Jesus established, but an opportunity for us to find comfort that God was so discontent with the brokenness of this world that he is wanting to bring about real restoration. And through Jesus' resurrection from death, there is actually something tangible that we can hold our confidence in when this world and our bodies and relationships are breaking and fracturing. But it's not just the hard times that we need to have a clear focus on the kingdom. It's that's even more important in the good times. And many people talk about Australia being heaven on Earth, politically quite stable, materially, so prosperous, you know, aesthetically, so pleasing. It's an opportunity as we experience the joys of life. Mark will tell you about the whales they saw, to realize that that is a glimpse. That is a glimpse of the kingdom that Jesus has established for eternity. And so the joy that we might experience catching a wave on our holidays or being able to explore a great bushwalk is a glimpse of eternity that Jesus is inviting you to come and take your place in. And perhaps in our modern age, where we encourage to keep all of our options open, our anti-RSVP culture, where we sort of might say that, yeah, we're going to go there, but really we're like, unless there's a better option, and then we're sort of not too worried to sort of trade that thing that we've committed to for a better option down the track. As we go through the various stages of our life, and we have options to find our place that seem more appealing, that seem just a little bit easier. Where it might be just a great temptation to just sort of ghost God and just sort of forget about this kingdom. There's a great warning. That there'll be a day when it won't just be dead and nothing. But there'll be a day where we will see the kingdom that lasts and is glorious And we'll be banging our hands, desiring to get in, but the door will be closed. Friends, the kingdom that Jesus has established is a feast where we can delight, where we are given a place. The nature of the king is a hand who cares for us and is doing everything to protect us. Jesus' ultimate protection it is shown is his death on the cross. That's how willing he is to show his care and protection for us. Let's keep our focus on the King and his kingdom that's established forever. Let's pray. <clears throat> our loving Father, we thank you for your great care and love for all of us that no matter where we've come from, No matter what we've done, this invitation to make every effort to enter is available. Strengthen us to receive that invite, if that's where we're at this morning. And for those who have received the invite and entered through the door, help us to focus our eyes on the kingdom that the King has established Help us to long for the day when He will return and everything that is begun will be fully realized. Protect us from the distractions, the, the deceptions of our own mind and the evil one that want to shift our focus away from what is eternal and lasting and good towards what is temporary and perhaps easy. Father, help us as a people to encourage one another to to grow our focus on who you are and what you've established and that by that, you'd be growing and caring for us in ways that bring ultimate glory to you. And so we pray this for your sake. Amen. I'd like to continue in prayer. Please join me. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this glimpse of Jesus. In fact, this very clear revelation of who Jesus is. We thank you that...